everyone. Welcome to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and this is your co-host, Kevin Tofel. And today we have amazingly huge news. We've got reviews of the Amazon Dot and some integrations that all of the Amazon family of products will get. We've got a review of the Osram Lightify switch. And we have the big news of the week, which mm-hmm. is Nest shutting down the Revolve Smart Home Hub later. Actually, it's next month. Next month. Next month. So because Kevin works for Google, which is... Owns Nest. Owns Nest. Actually, which bought Revolve. Which bought Revolve. I was going to say, we're just going to call it Google, even though the company's actual name now is Alphabet. It's Alphabet, yeah. yeah. But it was Google back in 2014 when they bought Revolve. And so what's happening there is... Well, so let me just clarify. Actually, yeah. was Alphabet bought Nest, but Nest itself bought Revolve, correct? Yes. And I only say that because it's kind of like a separate... I think they were told they were going to be to be able to run autonomously. So Yes, although what we found a couple of weeks ago in the story from the information is that when Nest bought Dropcam mm-hmm. after Google slash Alphabet bought Nest, that was actually a deal that was brought to them by the Google corporate development team. Mm-hmm. Which you're like, oh. Now, the Revolve deal happened in October, which is several months, like nine months after the deal closed, 10 months almost. After in 20, the- 2014, this happened? Yes. That Nest bought Revolve? Yes. Gotcha. So. And actually, at that time, I thought they said that they were no longer going to sell the hardware. So what they said at the time, I went back and looked at my stories because. Mm-hmm. I remember you covered it. Yeah. Well, Okay. Have we said what's happening yet? Oh, I guess not. So well, we should. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. Revolve. It, re, people who have Revolve devices, the service will no longer be available as of May 15th. Yes. Revolve app won't open and the hub won't work. That's I'm reading that verbatim from the Revolve blog right now. Right. So That's what happened. <laughs> there is a tizzy and mm-hmm. a very legitimate sense of frustration. So. Yep. Yeah, totally understandable sense of frustration from users who purchase the Revolve. Which I thought had lifetime service guarantee, number one. It did. Uh-huh. And, they all, and it did have a one-year warranty, but since it hasn't been sold in a year, I guess that's all out the window. Well, yes. So what happened was, and it was $299 for this hub. And at the time, it was going up against things like SmartThings, which cost about $99. It's important to know this. Yes. So when it was sold, they said Revolve slash Nest, they said they wouldn't update the product. They also said they wouldn't provide support after a year. And they also said, because the product had a one-year warranty at the time, you Mm -hmm. and I on our podcast prior to this one said that, you know, that probably meant you shouldn't buy a Revolve anytime soon because it was not going to be updated or Mm -hmm. kept up. Right. But at no time did they say, hey, about 18 months from now, we're going to shut the whole thing down. Yeah, that's essentially what's happening is the back-end services are shutting down, leaving these hardware bits that people paid $2.99 for be rendered useless because it's tied to that service. And again, I'm going to read from the site. We're pouring all our energy into works with Nest and are incredibly excited about what we're making. Unfortunately, that means we can't allocate resources to Revolve anymore and we have to shut down the service. So people basically have hardware that's just no longer going to work. There's no, there's no alternative service to hook it into. Nothing has been said about the existing services being open sourced or anything like that. So if you have one of these, it literally will not work after May 15th. So on the side of consumers, 
Boo hiss. Correct. That means when you bought the platform back in 2014 or late 2013, Mm -hmm. um, because it did exist then, you were probably like, crap, I just spent, you know, $300 on something and it lasted Mm -hmm. me for, you know, not even two and a half years. And, And I can understand, obviously I can understand people's frustration with the news and the development here, but I can also understand why people chose Revolve back then, even though it was more expensive. Because if I remember correctly, wasn't that the hub that had pretty much every single radio? It had every single radio. And when I did, I did a comprehensive yeah. review of smart home hubs back in Christmas of 2013. Mm-hmm. And Revolve was actually one of my favorites. It had good software. It had great pairing. It it was a really good product. But I mm-hmm. don't know how well it sold. It was only on the market for a limited time. Mm-hmm. It was expensive. And so when Nest bought them, it was kind of like, whew. That saved a bunch of good engineers from Boulder, Colorado. Right, and, where they're based, yep. Yeah, which is where they were based. So I don't know how many people are upset. My hunch is that it's probably not as many, but it does bring up really important issues for the Internet of Things. And it does. They're issues we talk about a lot. So It's so funny. I mean, I hate to have bad news reflect back on the themes that we've been harping on for the past month or two, but we have been talking about this. So we've talked many times about cloud versus local when it comes to smart homes and IoT. We've talked about holding devices hostage and so on. It's a shame that something tangible had to happen to resurface these discussions, but they have to be resurfaced because there are still challenges that have to be resolved here. And there's a big economic challenge here that actually we Mm. don't talk about. And I think we probably Mm -hmm. should. Mm -hmm. And that's on the side of the Nest folks, supporting a project with limited users that is not making additional revenue when you still have to buy server infrastructure and devote mm-hmm. an engineer or possibly two, I don't know how messy it is on the back end, to it is expensive. And mm-hmm. it doesn't really justify the cost over the potential life cycle of the device. And that gets into that disconnect between... Mm-hmm. Installing something in your house and expecting it to last for 10 years and being a business who's like, oh, crap, I'm not going to want to support this forever. Oh, my God, what did I do? Yeah, it, become, it becomes a numbers game. What's the bottom line? And that's, that's frustrating for consumers for you know, any of these products because it now raises the questions of you know, what other services may go away to render things useless. You know, I mean, this could apply to cars. This could apply to practically anything that's connected. So there was a wonderful recode story talking about Nest only pulling in $340 million in revenue and not meeting its like $500 million a year targets. I really don't think that, you know, Nest or Google would let Nest become little warts on your wall, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, it's. But you wouldn't have thought that would happen to Revolve either. I, I would have thought this would happen with Revolve. This is exactly why I told people not to buy Revolve after the gotcha. deal. But, and I do. I have a lot of doubts about companies and their their thought process around this. Very few companies I talk to have things like, "Oh, we've got an escrow account for our software in mm-hmm. case we go out of business, or our some sort of money to keep operating our cloud." If something happens to us, I love that. I wish I wish everybody in this industry took that approach, but obviously not everybody does. I'm, I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. I mean, I've said many times how much I love the Wink Hub, and when you were reporting that Flex bought Wink and Wink was, you know, divesting off Quirky and everything else, I was concerned. I'm like, my whole platform for my house is that going away? Will it? Will it shut down? It's, it's frustrating from, from an industry perspective. 
Right. And this is one of the reasons why consumers are like, they're going to look at this and they're going to be like, oh, phew, dodge that bullet. Screw the smart home. So yeah. that hurts consumer sentiment as a whole, which will hold up the industry. So my hope is we get some form of industry standard and maybe it's maybe it's like security, like as a member of the media and we should be talking to our guests like, hey, how do you plan to support your stuff if you go out of business? Just like we started we started asking them about security for their products. Yeah, it maybe it should be, a you know, a, a, another must ask question on the list now. And then the flip side is to me, I, I'm actually like to the point where I'm, well, gee, maybe I need to go back to a completely local base, run my own server kind of thing. You know, I mean, that's. If that's I, the case, I, then we'll have to we'll have to talk about building your own smart home hub with a Raspberry Pi. Ooh. Which can be done. Raspberry yes, Pi, OpenHab. OpenHab, yeah, yeah. So that's the Nest Revolve drama in a nutshell, a really long nutshell. <laughs> and our take on it is things like escrow accounts, open source software, or rather just putting your software in there if you don't want to make it open source in case something bad happens. Mm -hmm. Maybe even negotiations, you know, when you're negotiating a deal, like an M&A deal, maybe you make some sort of clause mm -hmm. for your users. Yep. So... Yep. I would love to see that. Because, I mean, the value of these companies, it's not actually clear yet what it is. Is it the data? Is it the user base? And <laughs> that... It all starts with the users because you don't get data without users, number one. And if if you don't have a product to offer to people that they want, I mean, you're not going to have users. To me, it's all about users. Well, when Nestbot Revolve, though, they said it was more about the engineering. They True. So that was kind of an aqua hire. So I guess the writing was on the wall, possibly mm -hmm. back then. Actually, it kind of was because they did say they weren't going to add new features and support it after a year. So, yeah. But yes, they didn't say they were going to turn it off, which is problematic. So that's that news. Let's move on to a week ago. Well, actually, last Thursday. So a week from when you guys are hearing this, mm -hmm. Kevin and I both received oh. a brand new device. It's the actually. Oh, you did? You got it on Wednesday? I did. Oh! Uh, not that that matters to anybody who's listening. <laughs> yes, I got mine before you did. <laughs> All right. Well, while Kevin is three, I'm going to talk about the Amazon Dot, which okay. is the smaller version of the two new products that Amazon put out in its... Do we call it the Echo lineup? Let's actually figure out what the heck we're going to call the Amazon see, Echo Dot and Tap. What are those? But, but see, that's the thing. There's the Amazon Echo... Then there's the Amazon Dot, and then there's the Echo Tap, I believe. Oh, right? it's, the Echo, it's the Echo Tap? I thought so. I'm checking as we speak. I I, some, it, I remember this standing out, like all of these, there was not, not consistency in what these were. Amazon Echo. The, there's the Echo. Oh, no, I, I misspoke. The Amazon Echo, obviously. The Amazon Tap and the Amazon Dot. So only the Echo is the Echo. Right. But my question and our challenge here is, what the heck are we going to call these products? Because hmm. there isn't a word for them. And now that there's more than the Amazon Echo, we have to say the Amazon somethings. The connected speaker line, that's not really it. Their voice assistant. Yeah, voice assistant. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> listeners, let us know if you have a great idea or if you've heard the actual term, because Kevin and I cannot read everything. All right. So, back to the dot. We both elected for dots. We talked about why. We had a reader talk to us about their privacy concerns. So, And that's why they got the tap. That's why they got the tap, because you can 
tap it on to listen and then tap it back off. Whereas the dot is always listening and has mm-hmm. a smaller speaker. So Kevin, $90 so for the mm-hmm. dot. What did you think? I think I love it. I mean, I'll, I'll be blunt. I love it. It's, it's everything the echo is minus the big speaker. So literally if you cut the speaker out of an echo and put the two remaining parts together and made a little hockey puck, that's the dot. The speaker that's inside it, I really thought would be like maybe just like a phone speaker. It's better and than that. It is better than that, but it marginally better than that. You're still not going to fill a room with bass and rich sound. But for background music, which I often listen to while I'm working all day long, it's actually fine for that. It's a little louder than I'd expected. And I mean, setup was a breeze. It's, if you already have an Echo, you've gone through the setup process. It's pretty simple. Use the same Amazon uh, Alexa app. I hate to say her name, but I had to. And I, I love it. Hmm. I, I don't know if you, you notice this, but your skills and my smart home integrations all came over with nothing. Like it, I didn't yeah. have to do anything. It was just, it was in the cloud, Kevin. Yeah. Well, that's the benefit. <laughs> <laughs> I never said that boo cloud cloud is bad. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, you got to hope the cloud is available and, and, and up and running for you. Yeah. It, seamless. If you already have a, an Amazon Echo, you're right. Everything just transfers over. It's a beautiful thing. It was literally plug and play at that point. So let's figure out, well, let's figure out where did you put your dot and where is your mm-hmm. Echo now? Well, so... The Echo used to be in my home office where I am now on the second floor, and that meant only I would be able to use it because I generally have the door shut when I'm working and so on. I have moved the Echo down to the family room so it sits between the family room and the kitchen so that everybody can use it. There was also no way to control smart home stuff from downstairs. Now there is for everybody. So now the dot has taken the place in my home office. It's sitting behind me, and I have it connected temporarily to a... um, Jawbone big jam box because my Marshall Stanmore speaker is broken, which I didn't know until I connected the dot to it. So, oh, yeah. So, okay. Did you name them both? I, I have to say it, you guys. Mm-hmm. Did you name them both Alexa? Yes, I did. Uh, okay. You don't get any new choices. You get the same three choices. I kind of thought maybe you could call it dot, but I thought so too. Yeah, no, no dot, no dot. Um, and if I'm in the middle of the two of them, like I'm on the stairs between the first and second floor and I shout out her name, she responds on both of them and hopefully one or both hears me and they, they both respond. They, they work independently. I want to be clear. You can't multicast music through them yet or anything like that. So that is true. But it's a cheap way to add the echo. This is what I love about it. It's an inexpensive way to add it to a home. That's that. I mean, if you've got it, so we didn't actually specify this, but it it comes with a line in jack and cord. So three point five millimeter cord and jack, yes. So you could just pop it in, and yeah, I I call it line in because that's the command on my Sonos. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it works standalone too. You don't need to connect it to a speaker. You, you do not. But I connected it I to would. a Sonos, <laughs> and it is it is great. Mm-hmm. I also connected it to my receiver, which is in my AV system, which is where I thought I was going to end up putting it. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it sounded amazing. Like, just fabulous. I was like, woo! But we realized that because that's our whole home entertainment system, mm-hmm. that it's hard when the, because then it's right by the TV. And then if we're watching TV, we can't shout it, you know, the, mm-hmm. the echo to turn or the dot to turn off the television. So we ended up keeping the original echo downstairs in the kitchen where it was after a couple of days. We were like, nope. And then we moved the dot upstairs to our bedroom and it's actually my husband threw out his alarm clock and made it his yep. alarm clock 
So works, works great for that. Absolutely. Now, it's funny you mentioned the TV because as soon as I got this all reconfigured and put the Echo downstairs by the TV, I have an Amazon Fire TV connected to that TV. And I'm like, okay, I can use the voice remote for that and I can control the TV, you know, the playback of the Amazon stuff. Wouldn't it be nice if I could just use the Echo to do that? And unfortunately, you can't. Then there's no way that I know of yet. So that is unfortunate. Now, I will say, here's where we get to some integration news because mm-hmm. this, this is, you guys are going to just be like, whoa, <laughs> or not. Okay. Or not. <laughs> so three things to know in integration. One, Amazon is integrating with Lutron, my favorite light switches. Mm -hmm. Um, And just because I forgot to tell you at the beginning of the show, Michael Piscina, the CEO of Lutron, is actually our guest. So stay tuned for him. Mm -hmm. And two, a software company called Unomi that we've talked about before also did an integration with Nest. And we're going to talk about that because I've used it. And then three, Amazon on Tuesday this week announced that their smart home skill API is now available to everyone. They launched it originally as the Alexa Lighting API. Sorry, I said it in August 2015. Um, so all of the companies that offer like lighting support, like Smart Things, Philips Hue, etc., they were all working through that API. But now it's available to everyone. Yay! Yay! So now if you've got a connected thermostat, connected lights of any sort, you can actually make it direct with the Echo. So then you can say, I'm going to say it again, guys, I'm sorry, Alexa, turn on lights as opposed to ask LifeX to turn on lights. Yeah, it's much better with the native integrations because it's a more natural language as opposed to the skill, which is a pattern of words. Yes. So that was kind of a lot. Hope it all made (laughs) sense. And I will say I have some lights that are controlled via an if this, then that trigger. Mm -hmm. So And then the rest of my lights are normal. So I am constantly struggling with like, ask if to turn on bedroom lights. Yeah. Ask this. I don't know who I'm talking to. So the the integrations, the various choices we have with if this and that, different APIs, SDKs and all, that's all nice. But ultimately, native is ideal because you don't have to think about how to ask it anymore. You still have to think. I'm actually running out of words to control things in my house. I'll be but, honest. But it's, it's more consistent, though. Like, <laughs> it is. You, you don't have to think about, okay, I control this through if this and that, so I need to ask it this way. You yes. Know? That, yeah. Yes. There's slightly less thinking, but sometimes I'm just like, Alexa, turn on the lights. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing happens. And I'm like, right. My husband's yeah. like, that never works, Stacy. We're not there yet. Okay. Yeah. So, but, okay, getting back to the TV, because... Mm-hmm. The integration with Unomi, which is free software that anyone can download on iOS or Android, and it's much better than we reviewed it like a year, maybe longer ago, and it was a little buggy, but cool. It recognizes products like Sonos, the Amazon, the, let's see, Nest, Hue Lights, Wemo, the Logitech Harmony system hub, and a couple other things. So there's a lot of connected products on it. It's free. They come with like these setups already programmed so Mm -hmm. like anytime my phone rings my sonos is if they're on they pause which is i never program that i think it's awesome Mm -hmm. so with the amazon (laughs) devices with the amazon integration Mm -hmm. now you can actually turn on your tv if you have a logitech harmony hub because Mm. and all you have to do is say hey lady a turn on movie night 
or whatever your your key, your routine is in You Know Me. So basically now I can control to a limited extent my Sonoses via the Echo mm-hmm. or Dot. I can now set up my TV to turn on with the Echo if I have a Logitech Harmony. And you could do like so much more stuff. It's so cool. That is cool. That I, is cool. I will say if you guys are trying to do this, you need to do a couple things or else it will not work and you will be as frustrated as I was. You have to, every time you add a device to You Know Me, you need to manually for the next, like until they update the app, you have to manually like find devices. And once you've done that, you have to go back into the Echo app and say, discover new devices. Mm-hmm. So you got to keep your order of operations there, guys. Right. The checking for new devices in the Amazon app should always be the last, I believe, the last step. Yes. And if you have the Philips Hue lights, you're going to have to go punch a button on a bridge. Right. And finally, after the You Know Me integration, there's also the Lutron integration, which I was really excited about until I realized <laughs> that I still need my my Wink Hub because I have Lutron lights that are connected to <laughs> the Echo through the Wink Hub. And gotcha. I was like... Now I can talk directly to the Echo and tell it, tell the Lutron lights what to do. But then I realized Lutron lights are on a proprietary protocol. If you don't have that radio, you can't actually talk directly yeah. to them. So, so you're not getting rid of that hub just yet. Not that Wink hub, no. But, but you can still use your, your Echo to control your Lutron switches now. Well, I could, I always could because of the Wink. Ah, uh, that's true. If you don't have the Wink, but you have like the Lutron Bridge, which people may have bought for HomeKit compatibility because it yeah. was one of the first ones, now that will talk directly to the Echo. So that's a plus. That is a plus. More that lights, plus. more mm-hmm. control. Speaking yeah. of lighting, yes. yes. Please tell Minster you can talk about this new switch. I am because you love the Osrams. I love the Osram tunable white bulbs that I have in the house. I have a couple of them. They're all connected and changed from soft white to warm white to daylight. I love them. I love them. I love them. But now they have a switch. They do. So this is the Osram Lightify Wireless Dimming Smart Switch. Was huh. that, a, that? That's a lot of work. That's a mouthful. Yeah. But if you if you look up Osram Lightify Switch, I guarantee <laughs> you're going to see this. This looks like a fancier light switch. It's about $30 in... I bought it because someone actually told me about it. I was very frustrated by the fact that my light switch was always, if, if it wasn't on a Lutron or a, like a Wi-Fi connected dimmer, people would turn it off. And whenever people turned it off, you know, then my connected light bulbs didn't work. And that was always kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. So I got this thinking I could put it anywhere and it would, the way it looks it looks like it actually toggles your switch because it comes with different backing plates that you put on top of the existing switch. So you don't have to mess around with electricity, you guys. Okay, that's the other reason I got this because I know people are kind of worried about that. And I was like, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if I could tell them about this connected light switch that still toggles their switch physically and keeps track of state, which is what I thought it did, but it does not do that. <laughs> no, it almost looks like so it, it fits over an existing switch. It does. And it basically just talks to your existing Osram Lightify lights. So you press it up and down. It doesn't control your physical switch. So your physical switch will always stay on. You put it over the switch, and then that switch now talks to your Osram lights and, Hmm. you know, turns off and on. Interesting. It is Zigbee compatible. I hooked it up to the Wink, and it, it didn't quite work the way I thought, but I think I need to hook it up as a remote instead of as an actual switch. 
Mm. So I'm still getting this. I'm still trying to find the use case for it because I was, again, I thought it would like, well, do something different. So I mean, it, it dims your bulbs. You know that you you can already already do that through an echo or a hub or whatever. But this also gives you the physical option now of dimming. Right. It's, so if someone goes and hits that switch, they're used to just hitting the switch on the wall. They're still going to be able to hit the switch on the wall. And the nice thing about it is, if it pairs to your lights, then your underlying physical switch will always be on. Mm-hmm. But when someone actually touches this switch, which is on top of the physical switch. They'll be like, oh, look, the lights turn on and off, exactly like I expect them to when I hit a switch. Right. And I would imagine that it then gives the state of the light bulb to any apps or anything like that as well. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. And you don't even have to put this over an existing switch. Like, I see a picture of it on Amazon, and they've got it on a nightstand just literally sitting. So, it comes with three different backs. Okay. And one is for the traditional toggle switches with the little toggles sticking out of the switch. You flip Mm -hmm. it on. One is for the flatter switches that... I think they're called deck rockers. switches. Rockers. Thank rockers. you. Yep. So a rocker switch. And then the That's other why is... I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so many reasons you're here. <laughs> and then the other is a plain back. And I, I put this on the wrong light first. And it, it took me like five seconds to, you know, unscrew the screws holding my existing light switch plate in place. And mm-hmm. then I screwed this guy in and that was it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really easy. It was easy to pair. So if you need something like this, it's 30 bucks. It does stick out from the wall. My husband told me that I could not yep. leave it up full time. Yeah, it looks like it sticks out a good half inch or three quarters of an inch from the wall. It's about three quarters of an inch. Yeah, okay. It's pretty-ish. It does have the Osram name on it right on the switch, yeah. which I'm kind of like, what? why would you do that? Sure, sure. But it does... It, it tells you this is the top, this is the bottom. It's very idiot-proof. Well, and the, and the other thing I like about this, I mean, it's, I don't think it's for me because I connect, you know, I have the Osram bulbs going through the wink and the echo, and so I've got the apps and I've got the voice interaction and all that. But my family still isn't into the whole shouting and something to turn lights on and whatnot. So I could see them using this. This is perfect for somebody who doesn't want to use a phone app or or doesn't have a you know a voice activation system for these things. You know, because it, it's a physical product. Or yes. Or it's good for if you have a light switch in an inconvenient spot. Ah. Mm. And you could put an Osram bulb in mm-hmm. and then you hook it, you pair it to this guy, and then boom, you now have a light switch wherever you want it. Yeah. So it's Yay. Yeah. Wireless light switch. I like it. Okay, so that's what this is. It does work. It's easy to pair and 30 bucks. 30 bucks. So, woo, woo. It's available on Amazon and probably other places. Okay, so we've talked about quite a bit. I think that's probably good for us. Before I leave, please, please take our IoT podcast survey, which you can find at iotpodcast.com slash survey and give us some feedback. We've gotten some great stuff so far. Yeah, it's literally, if it takes you a minute, it's it's taken too long. It's There's not that much there to answer. It's it's very fast. Yes. It won't take a lot of time. Okay, so now on to our guest, Michael Piscina, who is the CEO of Lutron. He's going to talk about bringing in other radio protocols and secrets to smart lighting in your house. Did you know, Kevin, that we are all using way too much light? I'm not surprised by that. I use an awful lot of light. Yep, yep. It's it's not a scarce resource, but you're probably not lighting your home correctly. So stay tuned. 
Hi, this is Stacy breaking into the IoT podcast to tell you two things. The first is that I've launched a weekly newsletter devoted to the Internet of Things that you can sign up for at stacyoniot.com. The second is that we're now accepting ads on the IoT podcast. We have packages for big companies and for startups. So if you're interested, email andrew at iotpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham. And today, my guest is Michael Pasina, who is the co-CEO and president of Lutron. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? Hi, Stacey. I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I am super well. So I am really excited to have you on the show because I have probably five or six Lutron switches throughout my house, and I love them. And I'm kind of very curious to find out the future of these things that I have put in my home. So let's talk about, well, actually, let's first tell the audience what Lutron is. Thank you, Stacey. And again, thank you for giving us the, the opportunity to, to, tell our, to tell our story on your show. So Lutron, we have been uh, 55 years in the lighting control business. In fact, the genesis of our company is our founder patented the light dimmer in 1961. Products uh, serve the both commercial and residential markets. In fact, we're about 50% residential and 50% commercial. So since you've got a pretty long perspective here as a company, I'd love to get your take on what has changed in the last, let's call it four or five years with relation to kind of the smart home and the, the launch of all these hubs and kind of this new excitement. Is it just going down market? for the smart home, or is there something different happening here? Oh, I, th- I think there are significant things. And I, I maybe, maybe Stacey, it would be helpful just to give you a, just a very, very, and I'll just take a few minutes, if I could, quick timeline about Lutron. I, I mentioned in 1961, our founder patented the light dimmer. And that was, an, obviously, the, that was the start of the company, important. But you asked about five years ago, what's different? And really, what happened in 2007, 2008 was the smartphone. And a smartphone in everybody's hands today now all of a sudden gave you the ability to not just control items in your home, but control your home from outside of your home. And the development of apps with our reliable lighting control technology was just a natural, putting these things together such that, again, you have the control in your home, or if you want to set scenes or have geofencing or any kind of capabilities of uh, when you're approaching your home, have your lights turn on automatically to a welcome scene so you never enter a dark home, that was a natural. And I think that's been the big change. I don't think it's as much down market, although we've developed technology for the mass market, the wireless technology. It's really been the, the smart, I'll say smartphones and tablets have, made, have really made the connected home potential uh, much more of a mass market product. Okay. And along the, that note, because I agree with you, the smartphone has really opened up a lot of things. What I have seen kind of in the next, we'll say in the next few years, what seems to be coming is radio technology that works directly with the smartphone. So I'm seeing a lot of lighting that involves Bluetooth. There are some Wi-Fi light bulbs out there. And so Lutron has this amazing proprietary radio technology. But I'm very curious how you see the future of kind of the wireless tech and in supporting that across many platforms and making it kind of interoperable with some of the other gadgets in the smart home. 
Well, I think, Stacey, you're exactly right. We, we employ our wireless ClearConnect technology, and it's all about reliability. It's all about when the button presses occurs that you want to turn a light on. Not only does it always turn on, but it turns on fast. We call it latency. But I, I think when you look at Bluetooth or you look at Wi-Fi or you look at other protocols out there, Zigbee and Z-Wave, they have a part in this connected home. We'll look at Bluetooth technology and Wi-Fi technology for the setup and make a very, very simple setup of our, tech, of, of our lighting control technology. What we have to do is assure to the homeowner, it's not about the technology, whether it's Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, ClearConnect. It's about, we believe, three things. One, does it give the homeowner the effect that they wanted? Number two, how can we, even with different technologies, and Bluetooth and BLE is much different than Wi-Fi technology, can you put that behind the curtain so the homeowners just plug it in and it just works? And the third part of that is the reliability. Will it be reliable over time? We always like to say you don't want to reboot your lighting. but It's, it's true. Well, you don't want to reboot your lighting. <laughs> no, no. It's, you ju- you just I've actually had to it. do that. <laughs> You know, and Stacey, one of the things we do is we look at, okay, how how close can we get to the reliability of a light switch? Let's take this a little bit further, because you guys today are launching an integration with the Amazon Echo. So let's talk about kind of the future for Lutron in this kind of interoperable, multi-device connected home world. Where do you see it well, going? That's a great question. I think one of the things, certainly that what we are talking about with Amazon Echo and what we're launching is we looked at this and we thought the Amazon Echo really is a very good software platform. We've been very pleased with that. We've been testing it for a period of time. I know it's getting good response in the marketplace. And we make great software and hardware. So we thought it was a natural of bringing Amazon Echo and the Lutron Caseta platform together. So I I think one of the things we bring to this Internet of Things is making sure things always work and and bringing this backup capability because, again, if the Internet goes down, we want you to always be able to control your lights reliably. Okay. And let's talk about some of the other platforms because I think Lutron is now on almost all of the big ones. So you guys have... A home, your Bridges HomeKit certified. You've got the Wink yeah. platform. You've got the Amazon Echo. Do you have anything with the Works with Nest program? Yes, we are part of the Works with Nest program. All right, so that's the big four. It seems like Am I, I. I don't know if there's another big one for you guys, but well, we we have worked as we have worked as part of. There's been announcements with both AT and T Digital Life, and there's also been announcements with Comcast okay. that we work work as a part of. So, you know, we we take. You know, the, our, our approaches is very simple. We believe that we are working and are committed to develop the best lighting control in the world. And we want to make sure it seamlessly integrates with all the popular platforms, Stacy, so it works. And have these protocols that are, I'll say, behind the scenes just work in a fashion that the homeowner doesn't need to worry about when we say Lutron is going to work with a uh, and as part of the Nest platform or work as part of HomeKit, you just connect it and it works. And we'll do all the hardware and software verification so that that occurs and happens. 
And uh, I think that has been our strategy, as well as having our own bridge capability in case somebody just wanted to do lights, shades, and temperature. They have that capability also. All right. And among these platforms, can you talk to me about the ease of working with them? Because they're there are different levels. There's works with Nest is very much a developer focused kind of application thing. The Echo seems to be more in line with that. And then there's HomeKit, which requires hardware. And so I'm just kind of curious, as a company that's deciding where to invest their time, how are you evaluating this? And what would your advice be to other companies who are looking and trying to decide which platforms to support? So uh, that's an excellent question. First of all, I think our relationship with all these companies have been very good. And, but there's different levels of integration. What we did with Link is we embedded our Clear Connect technology. And that takes a little more time to do that because we work out on not just the software, but we're also embedding the radio and the antenna design. So that, has take, that took a little more time. What we do with Amazon and we're doing as part of the Nest program and doing part of HomeKit, it's really a cloud-to-cloud integration. So we have a very reliable cloud platform. They have a good cloud platform. And what we do is work on the software. So these, basically, from a cloud-to-cloud standpoint, we, we can integrate very seamlessly. That would be a little bit of an easier approach. Overall, all of these companies have been good to work with. Which platform has the most users right now, or most of your users? I don't know the answer to that question uh, today, Stacey, uh, who has the most users. I can tell you that our Caseta platform, selling our Caseta and our bridge, has been very successful and is continuing to grow. Now, only the Caseta version, so these are more the, we'll call them the mass market switches and mass market kind of Pico, I always want to say Pico projectors, the mass market Pico remotes. Those are the only ones that integrate with all these other connected home platforms, right? No, the Radio Raw and Homeworks we announced at CDO last year are part of Nest. They're part of the Honeywell platforms, uh, uh, security platforms, as well as uh, Honeywell uh, thermostats. Are those part of the Maestro line, or is there a different line? So Maestro would be our, our standalone wall box control, but okay. Radio, Radio Raw is a wireless control system up to 200 points of control and homeworks which is sold a lot to cedia level accounts that is you can have thousands and thousands of points of control on that and i'll say very customized uh programming you and phillips are caseta and phillips hue both top out at 50 Okay, good to know. Because I am a huge nerd when it comes to lighting, I I try pretty much everything. What are the big trends you guys see in lighting that you're kind of following along with and are really excited about? Well, I I think one of the things that has occurred in in lighting, certainly in the past uh, three to four years, is LED technology. If If you think of what's going on in LED technology, is you have the benefit of having a microprocessor in every light bulb. It's also added a lot of new people in the marketplace, you know, in the, and, and uh, what I mean by that is you have companies today like Cree and uh, uh, like Samsung and, and others in the LED marketplace, which weren't there uh, five, six years ago. But the other thing uh, that, that's occurring is obviously with a microcontroller in there, you can put radios in light bulbs. And as you put radios in light bulbs, you'll have the ability to control them directly. 
and then certainly the the addition of voice technology, which the Amazon Echo has has that capability, and Siri also, and uh, we work with both of those platforms. So that's something that's changes that are occurring. We work very hard to stay on top of that. Let's talk about this for a little bit because I. I kind of walk through my house every now and then and play a little game with myself about what's going to be in it 10 years from now. And I'm assuming, I'm making a lot of assumptions here, so, you know, bear with me. But I'm trying out some lights right now that have motion control, they've got temperature controls built in, they've got an ambient light sensor. And in some of my rooms, in the hallways, in small rooms especially, like closets and bathrooms, it's perfect. I never touch a light switch. It's it's awesome. So I'm thinking right. about what's happened to... I'll use Sonos again, because it's a good analog for you guys. Perhaps it's great tech, works super well. But as the Internet of Things kind of happens, it's a very real question about how that will disrupt like your business model. So I might not need my light switches anymore. Well, I think it's something... You know, uh, I've been asked many times, Stacey, talk about disruption disruption actually can be a good thing. Just spin it around a little bit and don't think about the disruption, but look at the opportunity. So what's the opportunity uh, in, in connected light bulbs that have sensing capability? We believe there's still a need to, in the event from a sensing standpoint, you're still going to need the ability, if you're standing still and things like that, to be able to control your lights. And and we think there's still opportunities for us to be able to connect to these light bulbs in ways and offer a superior user experience. In a closet application, again, we could see interfacing with those type of applications. So maybe you would want to be able to control the lights even before you enter the space. And you could be able to control them maybe by sensors ever you approaching that particular closet space. I can tell you that happens in my hallway today with our wireless sensor technology. When I get into the hallway, before I get into the closet, my lights in my closet come on to 40 to 50%. And then when I get into the closet, my lights come on to 90%. And again, there's anticipation And I think one of the things we remain to be is a very, very good, very reliable hardware and software technology company. Are you guys going to be adding, it sounded like you were going to be adding some sort of AI or kind of machine learning aspect to this when you talked about anticipation, which I think would be really kind of cool because the less I have to program, the better. I'm really not at liberty, Stacy, to talk about future developments, but... Okay. Now, I have to ask, because I'm kind of curious if you get this data. Every time I actually... Here's a crazy chain. I use the Amazon Echo to turn off my dining room lights, which are stuck on a... Or have a Lutron switch. It's the Amazon Echo to wink to Lutron. Do you guys get to see that data? It's going, it's going through so many places, so I'm curious on, on the back end what you guys get to see of that. Well, the data that we would see is we know the product is being hooked up. We don't know the specifics of that on how it is working, and, and we don't know the specifics in terms of users and how the users are using the product. That's obviously information and that we would not interfere or, or want to... Uh, be uh, intruding in people's lives. But I think one of the things we do is we'll hook up 
the Amazon Echo and our technology, and we'll look how people are using them day, day in and day out. Okay. And then final advice. I would love to pick your brain since you are the co-CEO of a lighting company. Give us some advice on lighting settings, because as people are transitioning to LEDs and have this level of customization, let's just run through some basic kind of scenarios. I'm going to give them to you, and then you tell me kind of where should my lighting be? Maybe it's a temperature, maybe it's a, a depth. Are you ready for this? Do you think you can do this? I can try. All I right. can try from my experience. That That's good experience. Okay, movie night. The individual setting could be anywhere between anywhere between 10 to 30%, depending on how much lighting you have available in your room. Dinner party lighting. I think a dinner party lighting is just is candlelight is, is the best. Oh. And candlelight and the best lighting is somewhere in the neighborhood, again, of uh, I'll say any, to 10 to 20%. Okay. Good morning. I think probably one of the greatest things about good morning is having a nice warm light, probably lit, to, lit somewhere to between 30 to 50% and the shades come open. Oh, nice. Okay. And reading before bed. Reading before bed, obviously, is to have the, the light next to your bed stand come on to the right level, having the shades close, and having the lights around you at a nightlight level. So in the event you had to get up, you would have the lights at a nightlight level, either with our wireless occupancy sensors or just on a time clock. Is there ever a time that we should have 100% lighting? Operating rooms? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think commercially there are applications. But it also may be a situation where you're cleaning up your kitchen or cleaning up your, your bathroom or, or something, and you'd want the lights on to full. All right, guys, it sounds like if you don't have some sort of LED light on a dimmer, you are doing it wrong, unless you're just cleaning all the time, which I really hope for everyone's sake that is not the case. So, <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Stacy, thank you for the opportunity, and, and uh, we look forward to continuing to work with you in the future. That's it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. And remember, please sign up for the IoT newsletter, Stacy Knows Things, at stacyoniot.com. 